that. And the Indians obviously had a lot right. going right. around with Trevor Bowers' words and everything. Yeah, look, <laughs> like, well, Bowers in the Reds now, so that's uh, you know, that's, yeah, but, you don't, don't have to deal with that, with that anymore. Uh, because yeah, it, uh, they they decided that Trevor Bowers game i'll always have respect for you like he had stitches <laughs> that opened up in a playoff game and it was just like yeah. oh yeah. yeah well he was not just stitches opening up but he was like losing blood at a disturbing rate in a playoff game yeah. it, it was it was almost like an eli roth film on the mound yes. watching him in, in that game against the blue jays at least kurt Schilling had like a sock to like yeah. soak him up he was just like dripping <laughs> <laughs> just standing out there with with his finger, just yeah, just yeah. Good lord, it just yeah, like you had. To, I had to, t- to turn away from from watching. It's, it's I remember not- watching this during the day, and I was home. I mean, I was watching with my mom, and my dad was at work, and we were just like, my mom doesn't watch a lot of baseball. And she's like, is that? I was like, no, that's not a thing. They don't usually bleed from the finger when they throw the ball really hard or whatever. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually pitchers don't have to lose a gallon of blood. <laughs> to, in order to pitch an inning, and they took him out after an inning and a third too, because they, I think they even they realized that no, we can't put people through, we can't put you through this. And if I remember correctly, he wasn't doing bad; like he was doing okay. Like yeah. he was, he was doing his job. And they, I think they won that game. Uh, they yeah. definitely won the series. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it was one of those games where uh, the consequence of taking him out early was they just brought in Andrew Miller earlier, and he shut yeah. him down three or four more innings. That's in yeah. that. What a golden time for Cleveland baseball history. Yep. Andrew yep. Coming and, uh, yeah, a golden time for Cleveland baseball history that uh, I'm just going to say it ended in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, I got to be that guy. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, and we'll definitely get to West Coast stuff, but just to talk about that really, like I watched it with my dad in Chicago and he's, he's we were all born in Cleveland. Like we all had the hats growing up and we all – like, you know, always rooted for the Indians. And uh, he was he wasn't mad at the Cubs. First. He was just mad that they had a chance to win the game. They had their top of the lineup come up, and they just didn't do it. And he was yeah. just like, they're garbage. And my mom again was there because she just watched the stuff. And she's like, you don't need to be so harsh. She's like, no, they had a job, and they didn't do it. And it was just like, it's uh, it was sad, but uh, it was very exciting to watch the whole series. The, it was, I had a whole little arc that was beautiful oh yeah and yeah. It, not just the top of the lineup coming up in the ninth inning but against a role of chapman who was just done at that point like they, like his, his arsenal so, in that ninth. I'm, I'm sorry they like that series and i i you would know more about joe madden than i would but i felt like there were games that they had that they didn't need to use them so early and they just did mm-hmm. because they could and then i don't know they almost lost because of it like he was like yeah. uh Davis hit that slider because he had to throw a slider. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and think about the way that that Joe used him in that series. And this this isn't my theory that someone else, either on Twitter or on a blog, posted this. And that it struck me as that makes a lot of sense. Is that Madden, I think, has bad memories from back when he managed the A's in a series against the Red Sox when they were going for the pennant in 2008, okay. where they were up uh, by a substantial margin. Uh, in what would have been a clinching, I think, game five in Fenway Park. And he stayed with his starter for an extra inning, and David Ortiz hit a grand slam that brought the Red Sox back into it, and they ended up winning that game and taking it to seven before the Rays had to win. And I think that that trauma stayed with Joe Madden. And especially in elimination games, 
he kind of used that history to decide that, you know, if I've got a guy who's throwing 100 miles an hour, I am just going to ride him as long as I can because I don't want to to lose this shot at a World Series with anything less than, you know, the guy that they traded for this specific situation, which it worked well, certainly in game five and in game six worked well enough. But yeah, by the time game seven rolled around, it almost turned catastrophic for him. Well, and when you say it like that, I mean, he obviously pushed him pretty far. We don't know if it was at the edge, but they won. So he was right. Like it was yeah. close. If he hadn't used them early in those games, maybe that would have happened in those games. Yeah, and you know, game seven. And I think that that's, you know, Madden's ultimate response, and he doesn't say it in so many words, but when people question him, uh, he just at some point implies, look at the ring on my finger. And <laughs> yeah, that, that does, that is kind of a mic drop. It's yeah. regardless yeah. of how you got it. I, I love watching like, like sports analysts talk about stuff and hearing their theories. And I do sort of get on board with a lot of them. But when, when someone wins a championship and you question what they did to do that, it's like, well, you can't really do that because they won. <laughs> like, unless it was like, oh, we threw an interception or gave up a home run or whatever. But like the moves to put people in place, like they, they won. Like, yeah. who knows what yeah. would happen. You can't do better than, than that, honestly. Uh, the other thing that was cool about that series was like, I mean, I don't know. You probably watched it with your dad in Chicago. Or you were in New York at the time, right? I was in New York at the time, yeah. My dad was actually in D.C. with my sister and her family over Halloween. So we, we commiserated over the phone uh, uh, many times, but never uh, we never actually watched a series game together, which kind of uh, sucks. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to <laughs> Well, I remember I got to watch, um, I think I watched maybe the first two either in L.A. or somewhere, but like, um, one of them was at a wedding, like the re rehearsal dinner, so we were all watching it at the bar. And then I think it was game... Five, I got to watch it at my older brother's house in Cincinnati. And then uh, six was somewhere other than seven. Was, and it was just like a, a whole trip of all the people that I'd ever experienced sort of like sports with, for the most part, other than high school. And so it was kind of fun. Yeah, and you never never get to – you never think that your team's going to be in it at an age when you get to sort of still see it because it, it doesn't happen for hundreds of years or hundreds of years sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. At 100, 108 to be precise. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me do a quick show open, and then I, I will uh, I will jump off that thought in a second here. Let me yeah. just do the prop for a minute uh, to get that out of the way. But you are listening to the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, the Outsports Baseball podcast here on the Outsports Podcast Network. This is episode number 18, the Ben Zobris episode, coincidentally enough, my favorite World Series MVP. My name is Ken Schultz. Uh, I am uh, a contributing writer to Outsports, also to Baseball Prospectus and Cubs Den, and still occasional purveyor of mirth. And the other voice you are hearing on this particular podcast is one of my longest standing friends in comedy and a member of my graduating class from back in our barrel of laughs in Oaklawn, Illinois days. Uh, Michael Palasak is joining me here. Michael is a longtime Cleveland Indian, uh, not as longtime Chicago White Sox, and I did catch you in an Instagram story wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's controversial. <laughs> uh, let me give them your propers. Michael has been seen on uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Late Late Show with James Corden. Uh, I presume at a couple of weeks, probably The Late 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 Show, and then The Late 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 Show at some point. Uh, you, can, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at, at Michael Palisak. And I will spell the name out in uh, the show credits here, uh, P-A-L-A-S-C-A-K. Uh, 
And uh, my favorite credit of yours, and I still remember this from checking at my old college newspaper online after you'd appeared there, the Kenyan Collegian once referred to Michael Palisak's act as possessing, and this is a direct quote, a certain gnomish clippedness. <laughs> what? I got to write that down. Gnomish clippedness? Man, it's fun performing for English majors, isn't it, huh? Like gnome, like a garden gnome? Yes, yes. Gnomish uh, clippedness. That's fantastic. Uh, don't know what that means either, but uh, but I remember yeah. seeing that and going, yeah, that sounds like Kenyon College to me. <laughs> I remember, I felt like uh, that show was fine. They were very nice, but I did feel like, because I was an English major, but not like a good one. Like I just did because <laughs> I wanted to do comedy. And, but there's there's comments on videos I have on YouTube would be like, this guy doesn't sound like an English major. Like he doesn't speak really good English. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I remember doing that show there, and I felt like some of them just didn't like me because I was like making fun of this. Because I kind of I didn't do it as a like I liked English, but I wasn't one of those people that was like, I am you know the people that are very into it. Like I loved reading and all that stuff, but I wasn't like as much into it as everybody else was. But sure. that being said, everyone was very nice. Yeah, and honestly, that that can be That's to your credit because I, I know a ton of English majors, and the definition of an English major is someone who wears a trench coat and a matching beret. And write stories about drinking coffee and masturbation and thinks it's profound. I spent an entire creative writing class with those people. You're, you're better. I Honestly, I enjoy your company so much more, my friend. <laughs> you know what I loved about my English major was, well, I don't know. I love creative writing. I think I would have loved that. But I think there's something about creative things when you get to an adult age where it's like, the discipline of doing it makes it more creative. Like you have to sit yourself down and do it. There's no one going to expect a paper. I think that makes it a little better in a way, which I don't know. I just never did it because Xavier was pretty much, you just read stuff and then talked about it. And then you could do creative stuff instead of writing papers, but I didn't really get any of that stuff. So it was kind of like, we just read a bunch of stuff and poetry and I loved it. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of English being an English major is yeah. taking classes with a whole bunch of books that interest you. And then, sitting in a room full of people who are also into that thing and seeing if you can like come to like this incredible realization, maybe that or remarkable epiphany that might hit you or it might not. And you might just write stories about wanking off. That's uh... I loved it that uh, I would got to read books that I knew were classics that I might not read on my own. And then also uh, I love the idea that someone could write something like hundreds of years ago and I can read it and totally relate to everything that person went through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like now, and that's just amazing to me. Yeah, it, it's it, a really great book is like a gift from centuries ago, uh, mm -hmm. almost. It, it's a way yeah. of kind of glimpsing into that society that you don't get anywhere else and also kind of placing yourself, or at least close, closest you'll get to feeling like you're placing yourself into that mindset of like the 18th century England of Jonathan Swift or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I love that people are criticizing you on YouTube for not being a good enough English major in your act. Like, do they want you to reference Paradise Lost at some point? I have a joke where I say I'm an English major, and then I use uh, specific words wrong. I don't remember which ones they were, uh, but they correct it in the thing. Like, <laughs> you got to use good instead of well or whatever. It's not that specific one, but something like that where I used a different word. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just thought that was very funny. Another person said <laughs> my other favorite YouTube was uh, – was a, is this John Mulaney if you hadn't stopped drinking? <laughs> Good Lord. Wow. I, uh, I, 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 I've never looked at you and thought, man, what a lush. So, I mean, that's, that's different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let, 
let's uh, jump off that topic for a second. Uh, do you have a favorite baseball book? I, I realize I didn't like prep you for this, but this is kind of where the conversation uh, going. Like, uh, or like nonfiction. Any, any kind. Yeah. Uh, so I think the first one that pops to mind when you say favorite baseball book, there's a, there were two that I read is the basement baseball club. I think is what's called. It's a, okay. it's like a book you read, like maybe anywhere between 10 and teenage years. It's, mm -hmm. it's kids playing baseball. And then there was one I read growing up that was about there, this guy wrote all these books about sports. It was, it was about a guy who was, who made it to the big leagues and the, the big star was getting older and he took his spot. And it was just like, basically you could read it and pretend you were a big leaguer in the fifties or whatever. Oh, nice. So I like those two a lot. I read The Natural, but I think that movie, I saw the movie before, and I felt like it was like, it was less about baseball and more about the journey of this guy. And when I watch a baseball movie or read a book, I want it to be about baseball. I don't need anything else. <laughs> like, <laughs> Get I the hell like shit out of here. I like that Rookie of the Year is about winning and Little Big League and a Major League. I know we're talking those are movies, but um, so I think The Basement Baseball Club is my favorite book. I don't I just read uh, On the Black, Living on the Black, and I thought that was pretty good. And three, have you read Three Days in August? I, I, I have not heard of that one. On the Black, he follows uh, um, two pitchers, uh, Tom Glavin and Mike Messina, hmm. as they both sort of like go from their teams to like the New York teams. And they didn't know that was going to happen, but it sort of follows the whole season. And it was, it was really good. Um, but the one thing I took from it was like it's so easy – to be a major league pitcher back then like you have to have the skill and you have to train but it was like those guys work every four days those Braves pitchers golfed all the time and like <laughs> the times they got hard was like they got hit they got hit and it's like but they were so good that they were consistent enough to like have great careers and make money and like like it was <laughs> it was like it's, it's not fiction so they couldn't make stuff up but it was like oh you get hurt you pitch you get hurt you have you just sort of live a very nice life oh yeah um, but have you read three days in august uh, I've seen it, but I have not read it. That's the Tony oh, LaRusso. Yeah, the Tony LaRusso one. Yeah, yeah, I've, okay. I've seen it, but I uh, haven't picked it up because uh, okay. when it comes to LaRusso, I'm kind of not a fan. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just liked it because I felt like I like hearing people talk about baseball who know more, and that was like him. Like I feel like I learned stuff. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely knows a shit ton about baseball, and more than I'll ever know. Certainly, it's it's. Uh, uh, but yeah, if. I read about guys who know a lot about baseball. I kind of prefer they be other than my least favorite manager of the past 20 years. So, uh, well, but so I, I definitely see it, that it would be a, a fascinating read because yeah, if you can get inside Tony the Russo's head, there's a lot there and a lot that he's seen and been through. And there's the thing that they said when they were playing the Red Sox in the world series, because the Red Sox had not won a world series at that point in however long. Mm -hmm. and, uh, they, uh, after the game in Boston, like all the restaurants were closed. Like, like no one fed them. Like all, all these groups in Boston where they like made it hard for the car to like they had to order burgers for their family. It was just like, like it was really far. There's all these things that like Boston did to make it hard for the Cardinals. God, that that could not be more Boston. And that, I know. That, that, that's either perfectly spiteful because of course that I mean Boston runs on 24/7 spite. Or it could also be the fact that the games ended after 11 p.m. and Boston yeah. shuts down at that point. Yeah. I don't mind it if it, if it was a conscious choice. If you're running the baseball team for the Cardinals, you got to figure out how to cater stuff. You can't yeah. just be like, oh, this team that hasn't won a World Series forever, they're probably going to be nice to us. Like, yeah, yeah. Boston is known for just kind of letting that stuff slide. So that, that's well, awesome. That's great detail. 
What book should I read if uh, uh, I read it? Let me give you a fiction one off the top. I read, I finally read The Art of Fielding last summer by Chad Harbach. Okay. Uh, and that's one, it's, it's one of those books that you just kind of keep going through sheer momentum. It's 500 pages long, but it doesn't feel like it at all. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a character study at a small liberal arts college in Wisconsin. And one of the main characters is uh, this uh, phenom, this baseball phenom that's kind of picked up out of like central Illinois backwaters by yeah. uh, a veteran catcher on the college baseball team. And he's kind of, the catcher kind of takes him under the wing as kind of a mentor figure type. And then the yeah. kid kind of surpasses him, but then something awful happens on the field. And then the kid just loses like every skill he's got oh, and then man. has to figure out how to cope with that. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of like, it's like six characters that kind of interweave each other's lives. And all of them are really well-crafted and, and just really deep. And there's an emotional connection to all of them. It's, it's just a great read. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, if you get part of feeling a shot. Uh, and then kind of on the subject of pitching, since you mentioned earlier, I just finished one at the beginning of this year called uh, K, A History of Baseball in 12 Pitches by Tyler Kepner. Cool. And so he goes through and does a devote, devotes a chapter to fastball, knuckleball, curveball, slider, mm -hmm. like all like there's a spitball chapter, uh, cutter. And it's uh, half kind of a history of that pitch in the game. He tries to trace it to its earliest origins and then half kind of in-depth interviews with their best practitioners. So there's a long section in the cutter about Mariano, obviously. And then yeah. Mussina plays uh, a pretty big role because he's just, a, he's a Stanford grad and can talk about anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's a real good one. And uh, kind of jumping off of uh, the book you mentioned on the black, uh, that's uh, just a real deep dive into like, individual pitches and like yeah. their best practitioners. And that's, it's yeah. a real fascinating read there. Yeah. I also like Catcher in the Rhyme. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> uh, if it's the one by Bob Euchre, then yes. <laughs> yes, yes, there it is. That is, that is, is that the name of his book? Yep, yeah, he named it Catcher in the Rye, W-R-Y. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be like Rye because of the beer in, in uh, Milwaukee. <laughs> that also worked, yeah. Yeah, he should have had, if he, if he would have thought about it, him and uh, Bernie Brewer should have been a ghostwriter on that one. <laughs> so let, let's uh, jump back on the tribe for a second here, yeah. since we were kind of going off on that. Uh, and I wanted to, to kind of, going off of our World Series discussion, and yeah. I kind of insist this to every Cleveland Indians fan that I know, that in 2016, literally any other team in baseball, if they would have faced other than, you know, the team that I care most about yeah. in the world, 100% I would have been rooting for the Indians with every ounce of me. And the next time they make the playoffs in the World Series, as long as it's not against the Cubs, yeah, you have got me 100% there. It, it, uh, that, I mean, I like seeing long droughts end. And uh, I think that's what made it such a good series, too, was that it was a really good series, but also um, there was, it seemed like there was very, other than the South side of Chicago, there was very little spite towards any of the teams by any of the, like, even like, like my dad would say that like everyone in Cleveland made a lot of money off of all the Chicago Cubs fans coming and buying their tickets and drinking and staying in hotels. Like, and, uh, and the Cubs fans got to watch a team win. So it's like, I don't think, I think that's what was cool is like two teams that were just like trying to win, but there wasn't like, Oh, I hate the Dodgers. I hate the Yankees. I hate what the Cardinals are always in it or the whatever. Like, it was just like, Oh, these are two teams that. One that kind of hot, and the other one that was built to win now. And uh, yeah, 
it was exciting to see that dynamic and and how it played out. Yeah, it was it was a fascinating series from that dynamic too because uh, when you looked in terms of like overall team construction, of course the Cubs were favored going into that because that was the deepest Cubs team I've ever seen in my life. But in order to win that particular World Series, it was like you had to solve the unsolvable puzzle, like the riddle of the Sphinx that, yeah. you know, the, the super powerful Red Sox team and the Blue Jays, that great offense, couldn't you could barely win a game against, let alone work, win a series. And to me, what made the difference in that series was the Cubs winning game five and sending it into a long series. So then yeah. you could finally see some of the fatigue starting to come into play, especially in game seven with Kluber and Miller. And, well, first, the first thing that you said I want to respond to, I'd like to take a moment for all those Blue Jays fans because you had good teams. <laughs> they did, yes. And now you don't. Probably, maybe they'll be better now. You have young guys. But, like, they didn't get past Cleveland. And, like, I've been on the other side of that so much with, like, whether it was, like, being a Cleveland fan and seeing them lose all the time. Or, like, we lived in Buffalo for a while and they could never, you know, they never won a World Series. Or not. So, so like, I know what it's like. Or, like, the Cavs to the Bulls. Like, the Cavs just got – so I know what that's like to just be knocked out. Yeah. But Toronto an NBA, so that's okay. Um, the second thing – yeah, I think when when they won game five, that was when even like, even though it was still, that's what made it, so it was, that's what made it three, well, they weren't down 3-0, it was 2-0, 2-1. Yeah, they went down 3-1. 3-1. Um, it was like, you saw who the Cubs were going to start the next couple games, like, oh, this could definitely swing, because mm-hmm. they're, they're so strong. Yeah, it's 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 at that point when it became a six and then a seven game series that it became a series about depth, and that's when it finally swung to the Cubs' advantage. Yeah. Uh, and that 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 ended up being how you how you solve the riddle of the Sphinx is just kind of by taking it long until eventually they the those killer weapons they had wore down, and uh, yeah. and that's what to them. Um, so jumping to present day Cleveland Indians, then yeah. um, let me ask this because. The uh, Indians' ownership, I think, if it was this offseason, maybe even before the offseason, flat out— the passing, I don't know if you're going to—you were talking about—go ahead, I'll be late. Yeah, well, they, they flat out came out and said that we are not going to be able to sign Francisco Lindor. Uh, yeah. And is there kind of a certain fatalism to rooting for this team at this point, as, at, since they've come out and said this, that you know you have, I think it's two more years, or is it one more year with Lindor at this point? I think they'll have this year, and then that's a good question. I thought last year was like two more years, so maybe yeah. this is last year. Um, but there must be another. I don't know because I know they can. Like, I guess my question: Do you think? Do you think they're definitely going to trade him? Uh, uh, given the way that teams operate now, I think that they definitely will. It's just a matter of if they're going to like if they're competitive this year. Uh, I would assume they'll ride him out uh, yeah. because. This um, once that window slams shut and they and they lose him, it's probably going to be like another three or four year at least building process to kind of get it back to where where it yeah. was. Uh, but uh, given the fact that they traded Kluber in this offseason, uh, if they have any reason, uh, if the team gives them any reason this summer to say, OK, this just isn't working, I think they're going to try to get out in front of it and get some get whatever they can for him. Uh, yeah. before they end up using the free agency. Well, I think, like, so first I heard of it when, I think it was Machado signed the big deal last year. And mm-hmm. and I think the owner said something, and just in passing, of, to 
to Cleveland fans, like, don't expect that. Like, yeah. sort of like, which I, uh, I mean, when I was, I didn't really, I was old, I was not like a kid, but like when, when the Indians lost Cliff Lee and they lost Sabathia, it was just sort of like, and they would go on to win Cy Young's at World Series. It was just sort of like, what, what's the point of this if you're just going to give these guys away, basically? Mm-hmm. But with Lindor, I feel like they made a really good run to get to the World Series. And uh, I I don't know their budget. Like, I know it's a smaller market. And I will only – I mean, I understand if they have to trade them for the future. But I think – they and they did trade Kluber, but they're, they have so many young, great pitchers that I don't – and, like, I think they did that as a strategic thing versus, like, we're cleaning the house or whatever. Yeah. Um, Kluber was hurt for a lot last year anyways. And he's great, but um, so I think I, if we get like this year and it is competitive, which I don't know if it's going to be because the Twins, I don't think lost. They only added stuff, and and uh, the White Sox, which I, <laughs> I was talking to a diff, uh, Jim Flanagan, a comedian friend of mine who's a big White Sox fan, and yep. it's just Good so dude. funny to me. My dad, we'll go to those games because like we're not going to drive to Cleveland, and like we get calls from White Sox people selling tickets, like we signed. Uh, Whoever the Brewers catcher, I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, um, yes, Grandal. Yeah, yes, my like we signed Grandal, and it's just like, oh, oh. I mean, I was in LA when he couldn't catch the ball in the playoffs. Right. And like right. they had a catcher last year that made the All Star team, so it's mm-hmm. like, why? Like, why do you want to sign someone to sit an All Star on the bench or have someone DH? And it's just like the way they. So I don't know. The White Sox are supposed to have more, but I don't know if they actually do. Um, and they just signed Mancata to like a seventy million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. Which could be a good deal if he becomes a superstar, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, everybody. The, what was that? Locking up everybody. All, all their young players, they're, they're trying to get under contract. Yeah, I think it's a different place than Cleveland, obviously. I think when you're in Chicago, you have to like give people a reason to come to games to make mm-hmm. money. So I think that affects why people do things. Um, but that being said, I think it could be a very competitive division, and so I hope it's a good season for them. And if I don't blame someone. I don't in, – in all sports, I think when you – like if you look at the championship teams when Machado and uh, Bryce Harper signed last year, like none of them were one of the final. And I think because it's hard – baseball is not a sport where one hitter can change. A, like if that was the case, then the Angels would be like the best team. And that's not like – so yeah. I think they see the value. Obviously, if it's a shortstop, it's a bigger deal. But uh, – and I want guys to make their money. But I think it's like – it's. It seems like if it gets to be that expensive, it's smarter not to sign him after that. I would say, I mean, certainly if it crushes your ability to get any other player uh, or to, to build around a superstar, yeah. Um, my, my argument with that, especially now, uh, and baseball owners don't want you to, don't want people to understand this, but the money ball era of baseball is 20 years ago at this point. Yeah. And while there are still large market and small market teams, the fact of the matter is the Kansas City Royals just sold for a billion (laughs) dollars. The Kansas City Royals are worth that much. So if the Kansas City Royals can can be exchanged for literally a billion dollars, every team in baseball can afford to pay every player what they're worth. Even a a, a small market team like Cleveland, even if Francisco Lindor is going to be making – $35 $35 million a year, I would venture to guess that there is probably money available in within the Cleveland Indians ownership to make that deal happen and still yeah. run a franchise. 
I mean, it's such an optimist. I feel like they're just saying it as a negotiating technique to make Lindor's price come down. Because you're right. If he makes $35 million, he's not just a shortstop he can hit. He could be one of the best players in the game. He's very young. Absolutely. So he's going to... He could be one of those guys that people go see, so he couldn't definitely make his money back, and especially uh, for making people want to buy tickets. Um, so I just hope that they keep him all year and then they, they re-sign him. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't like owners anyway, so it's like <laughs> make me and like that, us. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that honestly is is the most rational approach to to all this contract discussion is remembering we're not rooting for owners. Like no. <laughs> I, I am not cheering for Tom Ricketts to make an extra $1.5 billion in the marquee deal. That's, I, I honestly would love to see Tom Ricketts financially ruined because that would mean you can't donate to Trump anymore. Uh, That's very funny. Uh, two things on that. First, I like listening to A-Rod do baseball, which you might have a different opinion. But because he talks like that, he's like, if this team spends money on this guy at this break, they'll be able to make this much money later. Like He really puts it down like they'll make more money by spending it. Don't like lie to yourself. And yeah. the other thing I like about that is uh, uh, they always come out with like movie stars and who like is the worst movie star when it comes to like how much money the movie makes versus how much they make. And like Will Ferrell was it one year and he was like, I, I feel like it was it was somebody some comedic guy because comedy movies sometimes don't make as much, but like their stars make a lot of money. And whoever it was said, uh, he's like, oh my agent did a really good job. He's like, I don't feel bad at all. It means I got the most money I could. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Why are we rooting for studios to make all the money? Absolutely, yeah. Owners make money. I like these guys. These guys are working hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rooting for baseball owners is like, on a, in a certain way, it's like cheering for Comcast or cheering for <laughs> the Netflix executives. I, exactly. They're they're going to win no matter what. Yeah. It's you shouldn't be concerned with that. And to to what you said about a Rod, that uh, here's a rare instance where I'm going to say a Rod's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you describing the the way him uh, him talking like that. I mean, it, and he's an, a Scott Boris client for you know yeah. thirty years, and that <laughs> sounds exactly like the argument Scott Boris would make. That yes, you're signing this megastar to this you know several hundred million dollar deal, but this is how you end up making your money off of having this megastar yeah. on your franchise. Like that, Scott Boris, he's true. I didn't even connect it to the fact that like Arod was one of the highest paid players ever, and you probably heard this conversation because it is. Yeah, it's it's never a perspective I've heard on ESPN or any sort of announcer say. And it's probably because they haven't had. He's like probably he was the highest paid guy to come through, so he's probably like one of the first guys that's retired to even be able to talk like that. But it is. Uh, it's like any business. You add something of value, it's going to raise your value, and yeah. 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 And if yeah, shit, if comics know that, you you would figure businessmen would, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, that's interesting too. Like you hear about baseball and people talk about the client, but like you go to a game, and even if they sell like ten thousand tickets, which is like a quarter of the size of the field, that's still like a good size. Like I only need a hundred people to come to a comedy show, and it's like I make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the Indians aren't papering the room. At, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not. <laughs> you you don't get into Progressive Field for free and then just have to buy two drinks and be okay. Uh, <laughs> And the thing is that, yeah, baseball owners have also figured out that um, they don't have to sell out their ballparks anymore to make obscene profits with all the money they make off of advanced media and with various licensing deals uh, and with all the ridiculous cable money they make right now, too. It, it's Selling tickets, obviously, is a driver of profits, but it's not no longer the driver. And, uh, and that's really, that's the reason why teams like Cleveland 
don't want to spend on guys like Lindor when, when it comes down to it, because they are going to make obscene profits no matter what, whether they're good or not, and whether they draw fans or not, they're still going to make a shit ton of money. And yeah. so it's it, when when the own Indians ownership says we're not going to be making an effort to re-sign Lindor, it's not because they're going to lose money if they do. It's just because they're they're saying we just don't want to make this commitment. We just we want more of the, the best product we can. Yeah. And that's a bummer, too, because I think it's so cool. My dad really likes it when guys stay with the team their whole career. And uh, and I think it's really special, and you're kind of making him leave because you can't ask a guy to take less money at that young of an age. Yeah, one of the best him. players in the game. Like, it, it'd, be, it'd be different, like, when Pujols signed his big contract in L.A., I was like, well, he's getting older. He's not – like, there's a reason the Cardinals like, we're not going to pay you that much because it makes sense. But, like, he's in his – He's before his prime. I don't know how old is he. Twenty four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's uh, Lindor is. I want to say twenty six, twenty seven, okay. and also a shortstop as opposed to a thirty two year old first baseman or however old Pujols was when he signed the deal. Yeah, I mean it makes so much more sense in just about every conceivable way to give Francisco Lindor a long term contract because you're going to be getting some huge, huge years at the beginning of that deal, and that should yeah. make the whole contract well worth it, regardless of what it looks like at the <laughs> end. And hitting doesn't go away at that when you're that size. Like right. I think some big guys might maybe struggle, and he can move to third or DH or something. If oh, yeah, yeah, there are plenty of spots down the defensive spectrum he can move, but he's still very good in the field. Uh, he still oh, yeah. has, you know, can still run a bit. I mean, the whole package is right there for yeah. Francisco. And he seems like a good guy to have in the clubhouse. He seems like yeah. you know, when when they hit that hot streak, the year after they went to the World Series, it seemed like he. When you have guys like my my dad is the one who like taught me about, and he was just like, you have to be loose, like you have to be loose, like mentally very intense and focused, but physically you have to be loose. And he just seems like someone who's really good at that. Yeah, his his players' weekend jersey is Mister Smile, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like that uh, that from that Simpsons episode, the Japanese laundry detergent company that stole Homer Simpson's likeness. Like, sounds like the, <laughs> what what that should have been named, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sputtered that sputtered that reference out, didn't I? Okay. You uh, know what? I haven't seen that episode because I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up, but I'm going to watch all of them eventually. And I have seen the that box, that picture, though, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mr. Sparkle, I think it was, which is yeah. pretty much the same thing as Lindor. Uh, so uh, jumping out to where you are living now, out on the West Coast in L.A. for a second, uh, what does it feel like that to realize that you're now living in a town where now the two – best players in baseball call home, not just the one, but uh, in the best player in both leagues, honestly. Now, yeah, you, so you're you, talking about Mike Trout and Bellinger. Uh, uh, actually, I'm Trout, Trout and Mookie Betts. I think, I think Bellinger. What's that? I, th I think Betts is a better player than Bellinger. If you, if okay. you took, like, they're, they're both at their top, their best seasons. I think Betts is, but I mean, in fact, you've got Bellinger and Betts is, Amazing. Well, that's the thing. Betts, I think, definitely is better. But Bellinger is still very young. And, like, his first breakout – well, he had a good year two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, last year was, like, yeah, he, you know. Yeah, he was off the charts last yeah. year. Um, and not, I don't know as much about Betts other than, like, watching him. And, then like, obviously he's great. I do think, like, it makes it, makes it hard to not have cable in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. you get Spectrum – in LA, that's that's the only way you get the Dodgers, but you all you get the Angels no matter what, and it's just so nice because they you're on the West Coast. If they're traveling, you can just turn out like as a comedian to just be able to like, oh, I'm gonna wash dishes and I'm gonna watch the game or I'm gonna pick watch like you can watch three innings and 
And anytime Mike, like anytime Mike Trout's up, it's like, well, he's going to be up. And then Otani's either going to be up. I don't, I think he always comes after, or maybe we did before. Yeah. I can't yeah. And then, uh, um, Pujols, who's still like fun to watch. Cause he's, mm-hmm. he's like legendary. And then their right fielder. I like watching over the angels. Cause he just plays really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name right now. It's so I'm not an angel guy. But like that's, and then the Dodgers is just like, yeah, that's crazy that they got bets. I like it that they got him, but I also like, <clears throat> I liked my my Peterson was my brother's favorite player, and I think he's still a Dodger officially, but obviously he's not gonna start over bets. Right. Uh, and I, I like the idea of like a team that's built really from within. And I think Peterson was a Dodger guy from the beginning, so I kind of like that. And <clears throat> and. And they were, they've been so close. Like, I got lucky enough to go to a game against the Astros. Like, I went to one they won. And it's like, and you, yeah, I went to game six. Uh, yeah, it was the coolest thing ever. It was after, uh, it was like the fall, I guess a year after last comic standing. So I was in L.A. And uh, I remember game five win the extra innings or something. Like, it looked like the Dodgers were going to win. So I went on StubHub and I, because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get tickets if this is the game clinching world series game or whatever. So I got tickets and then they ended up losing game five. So they won game six, but it didn't matter. But, uh, I figured where I was going with that, but right. that team was very much the LA team. Like they didn't, they didn't have Machado yet. They didn't like bring in huge names to change mm-hmm. the. And I just think there's something that's really cool about guys that are just there, but now they've lost, they lost two world series and then didn't even make it last year. So I'm sure it's like, well, we have the team, we have the pitching, we have, so we have to go out and get them. Right, and that that kind of brings me to the question I wanted to ask you your thoughts yeah. most most about in the Dodgers uh, is that bringing in Mookie Betts, obviously you're bringing in the second best player in baseball in, in my world. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're improving your team immeasurably by doing that, and yet you couldn't look at the Dodgers from the past any of the past three years and say that their problem was they didn't have enough offense or they didn't have and, enough power. Like Mookie Betts. Yeah, they didn't have enough outfielders. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and Mookie Betts, again, obviously makes them much better as a team, but he's not really filling any holes other than you know lengthening the lineup substantially. Uh, so it's weird that to, to, on the one hand, realize that the Dodgers, already kind of the team to beat in the National League, are now incredibly the team to beat in the National League, and yet this doesn't this doesn't get them any closer to like anything resembling a guaranteed win in, in the postseason. You know, the way you phrase that was very good. Cause I, I, I felt some re- not remorse or whatever, but like uh, reser- I was reserved about it since they got him. And I think that's part of it. I think like when I watched the games, like, <clears throat> and I, I'm not someone who's like, Oh, I watched every Dodger game, but I follow them cause they're on and it. And that's the other thing that's good about TV contracts. Dodger State is so big, like it's twelve bucks to go to a game. You can get like pretty mm-hmm. good lower level, not lower upper deck, but lower part of upper deck seats for like fifteen bucks. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, we go to games, and uh, when I look at their outfield, like a couple years ago, they had to get rid of people because they had too many outfielders. Like Matt Kemp was having a great year, and they had mm-hmm. to get rid of him. And and uh, the guy Puig is a great player with a horrible attitude, uh, so I understand why they got rid of him. But it was like he's like you know a potential all star every year. Like he could have a really good year, and they had to get rid of him. And it's like. <laughs> to bring in another outfielder who is, you know, like you said, I didn't, I, I didn't follow the Red Sox enough, and like, I, I, so to, but yeah, the second best player in baseball. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and I, I wonder where the holes are if you were to look somewhere else. I know, and they got rid of some youth, some guys that were good, like some 
a pitcher that I liked and like uh, another young fielder that I liked. Verdur- Ver- Verdugo was, I thought Verdugo was great. Um, and I just like it when a team, like, I always feel like there's a, there's like a, a, like a core to a team. And whenever you look at a team and you're like, you take people away from it to add somebody else. It's like, you're kind of questioning how good that core was. And it's kind of insulting to the players. And I think it could always, it might be great. And they might win the world series, but like you said, it doesn't guarantee anything. They yeah. can go against, uh, you know, well, whoever the pitchers are that are hot and not win anything. It reminds me of, and it's always easy to second guess, but there was a couple of years ago, the A's were like, they were leading the division and uh, they traded for some pitchers and they didn't even make the playoffs. Like they were having such a good season. And then they did. And I, I always, I always question that. Like if you're like, uh, why fix a good thing or whatever? Yeah. It's um, I, I think in the case of the Dodgers, um, they, you cannot build a system and a team better than they have over the past four or five years in terms yeah. of, not just you know creating this, this team of superstars where you develop a Bellinger, you develop a Corey Seager, and then you find Justin Turner and turn him into this amazing hitter. Uh, and then you also have this farm system that just oh, yeah. seems inextinguishable in terms of talent, where you just a couple of years ago call, call up a Walker Bueller, and yeah. uh, now, now you're going to call up a Dustin May for that rotation, and Gavin Lux, and it seems never to end. But they have done as good a job as putting together a foundation as I can remember any team since maybe that the, the Yankees of the of the late 90s, let's say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, because baseball is baseball and shit happens in the postseason and sometimes yeah. you run into two consecutive teams who are stealing your signs in order to win World Series. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think. Dodger front office is also a little bit kind of in. We gotta. They're now. I don't want to say desperate because I don't think they're desperate, but they're also kind of. Well, let's try this mode. Uh, and and don't get me wrong, uh, Mookie Betts is as good an addition as you can possibly make to your team. Yes. And I'm I'm not making any kind of argument that that no. adding him is a bad idea in no. any way possible. Uh, no. We'll love him for 162 games out in L.A. Yeah. Um, I wish the Cubs could have him a hundred percent wish the Cubs could bring him in. Um, but what I'm, uh, what I think, uh, what I'm trying to say, and I, I hope this, this semantic point is getting across is it's not a bad move at all, but it's also an interesting, it, it doesn't fill any of those holes that, that you would be concerned about, which, uh, it, it makes it kind of a fascinating move to me that, uh, that obviously they're better and yet you can't say that they're so much better now than they were before, you know? Like, if they had gone out and somehow, uh, I don't even know who this person is because I don't, I don't know enough about bullpens, but if they were somehow able to trade for the best closer in baseball, mm-hmm. that would be a bit better. That, like, you would look at that. Like, if they were able to find that Andrew Miller next year yeah. or whoever, whoever was great last year, that, that seems like the thing that would be more important. You're right because, like, Kenley Jansen, maybe he'll get better. I don't know. Is he still a Dodger? I know that they were talking about moving him. Yeah. yeah sure. And I know he lost his spot, like, through the season. Like, they, they they gave it back to him. But And you mentioned the two teams that stole signs, but they also they also were so close to winning that National Series. And who knows what happens yeah. when they face Astros again. Like, yeah. That was, like, I was watching that game with Sam, and I think the Dodgers were up 3-1. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's over. Let's watch something else. I was like, no, it's not over. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, Rendon, you know. Right, and, and Juan Soto to back, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm someone who I, 
hate the Clayton Kershaw postseason narrative that I really wish he could just kill that off and bury it forever. And so part of me watching those two back-to-back home runs off him, uh, it was exciting because I was, I was rooting for the Nats in that series. Uh, And I love watching Juan Soto play and I've seen him do that on that stage was phenomenal. But there's also a big part of me that was like, Oh God, now he's going to have to answer for this on top of everything else he's, He's had to endure in his postseason career. Yeah. You know, it's so that is very sad. But someone pointed out recently, which I don't know, if, maybe it was a news story that, like, this is a Cardinals fan that pointed this out, that when they played, I think it was the Astros, the uh, Kershaw's curveball rate, swing and miss rate, was, like, way lower than it had ever been. So it was, yeah. like, clear either they got really hot or they were stealing signs. And, oh, yeah. The, and that's it was, sad that it's his narrative because of the cheaters. Yeah. And that – that's that's the one kind of redeeming thing for him this offseason yeah. is that looking especially at I think it was I think he started that game five that crazy one you were referencing earlier uh, yeah. where he got bombed pretty early on and yeah that that stat I saw that uh, on Twitter this week that I think he either got like one or maybe even zero swings and misses on the curveball yeah. in that entire game and that's the curveball from hell like yeah. you've seen <laughs> as often as I have like and that's there, that shouldn't be possible on that team like it's yeah. not. so so that at least goes to now it's it's he still has the narrative unfortunately especially after last year but it's also a narrative with a small like codicil at the bottom of oh uh but one of the teams that crushed him was very obviously cheating and had his signs and (laughs) also it's it's important to remember in that series he pitched a great game one against verlander which the dodgers ended up winning and then he came out of the bullpen after Darvish got bombed in game seven and was nails for the rest of that game. Yeah. So in that series, the one game where he got clobbered was the one where obviously Houston had his signs. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that you pointed out about the long series earlier with the, when we talked about the Cubs and the Indians, I think when, uh, like, if you look at like, I don't know, they talk about LeBron James has lost a lot of NBA finals. Like Ken Kershaw got hit a lot of the playoffs, but he's, he's really good. So not only is that on teams that go to the playoffs, because the Dodgers have been good, but also he's made them good. But he's also been the ace from not recently, but most. So he's pitching one, two, maybe showing up in three games a season, a series. And by the time a, a team sees you two times, yeah, just seeing you all through the season, and especially the, when the Cardinals got hot, it's just like he's out there because he's the best they have, mm-hmm. and so he gets hit because the other team is the best at that of that season. Like he's losing to teams that are winning World Series. Yeah, and uh, to that point. Uh, when he faced the Cubs in 2016, that's exactly how it played out in that uh, NLCS. That yeah. Kershaw pitched game two on short rest, no less, yeah. and destroyed the Cubs' bats. He, they yeah. uh, ended up winning, I think it was a one nothing game the Dodgers ended up winning. And yeah. the Cubs just couldn't touch him the entire night. They had like two hits. Yeah. And then he came back on normal rest in game six, and they got to him pretty early on because they'd seen him before. And he yeah. also had the misfortune of going up against the best start of Kyle Hendricks' career. Yeah. Where Kyle Hendricks went out and didn't pitch a perfect game, but uh, pitched eight and a third innings and also only faced 25 batters over that span. So that yeah. is, he that allowed a couple yeah. base runners, but also only faced the minimum in literally every inning. So yeah. what are you going to do? And he was like supposed to be the Cubs' third best pitcher, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's it was season? Left year yeah. Arietta Hendricks. Yeah. Yeah. What a, and then it was what like a, one of the series, like, oh, maybe this is the best guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's another reason. Again, the depth. 
Uh, yeah. So let's uh, jump to. So you uh, you said you're more of an Angels guy uh, when you're out in LA. It's, uh, oh no, I'm more. I misspoke. I'm more of a Dodgers guy. Oh okay. I just had seen. I like watching those good players, but I root as so. I grew up an American League guy, whether it was being an Indians fan or my mom's from the South Side of Chicago. So I like I have those American League associations forever. And uh, growing up, the Cubs would be gone, but it was always like because of the relationship to Chicago. I never like fell in love with the Cubs, mm-hmm. and but living in LA, the Anaheim is far and yeah. there's traffic. But the Dodgers, I can get to Dodger Stadium like within a half hour from where I live. And uh, it's so fun to go to. I love going to games. So I just sort of fell. And I went, I moved in 2011 when, before that streak of winning the division happened. So it was sort of like I got to see the transition of like the old coming out and then the new and then seeing Justin Turner just like, you know. And uh, I felt like I felt a part of the city as a person living there as the team also grew and got better. And so I just sort of felt like a special connection. And then like I got to go to like, Game 163 one year, and there the first we went. Oh, I was gonna bring that up earlier. I went to a Nationals playoff game. It was like a weird thing when the that Cubs year where the Cubs I think won a playoff game, so the Dodgers had to play during the day, and it was like a day after a Jewish holiday. So like also, I we got tickets for like ten bucks to go to like a Nationals Dodgers game for a playoff game. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like a part of that 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 area and. People in LA that like the Dodgers, I feel like I can get along with. And I know people don't. Obviously, not all Dodgers fans are nice, but um, I like that people like baseball. And there's a lot of people like baseball. Mm-hmm. Are, are Angels fans a little more dickish? Is that? Uh... Well, I just feel like it is far away, so I feel mm-hmm. like I don't see interact with them. Like Anaheim, you can get there in 45 minutes, but also it can take like two hours. Mm-hmm. Like so, um, I just haven't made it down. I have a friend who like doesn't like Dodger fans and will only go to Angels games. Mm. Uh, so I think maybe it was more the opposite. And I would love to go to an Angels game. I just, uh, I just, yeah, I just haven't made it out. I think it's one of those things that I just gotta do. Just gotta put on the calendar. Might might suggest we are we are three weeks away from opening day as we take this right now. Yeah. Uh, and if if you want to go to uh, one of the must-see Angel games of the year, uh, I would say go into opening day uh, as they host the defending American League champion Houston Astros. And watching that yeah. response, I think, is going to be fun. Yeah, that's funny you bring it up. I have a text from my younger brother who also lives in L.A. And he was like, I want, it was March 26th. He was like, I want to go to the Angels-Astros game and boo them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an L.A. thing, I think. What's that? I, I, I've heard that there are Dodger fans who are buying Angels opening day tickets just to go and boo the Astros, which which I I can't support more at this point. Like that that that's the kind of pettiness that I can completely get behind. There's a comedian uh, Tim Convey out of St. Louis who's very funny, and uh, he uh, he's a Cardinal fan, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, on YouTube, he watched like one of the videos of one of the players getting hit with a pitch for the Astros, and I never want anybody to get hurt. Right. But this is very funny to me that like one, once if you have a YouTube app, like it'll tell you when other videos are up there similar to it. So now whenever an Astros player gets hit or booed, he gets a notification from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so the, funny. The, I don't know if I, it's like, it's, it's like, Capri, there's like, uh, what, whoever got hit, like Bregman hit by pit. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're getting real time notifications of every small bit of vengeance taken on the Astros lineup. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Do you think if they had punished the players that, that, uh, that this wouldn't be happening? Like if they had suspended them for half a year or a month or two months or whatever? 
you definitely get that sense with the way so many players are talking so publicly about this. Cause you, you know, as well as I do that players tend to, you know, coalesce around, you know, the players, uh, major league baseball players as a unit. like, it's, it's kind of, there's, there's this sense of, uh, almost like us against the world, uh, that, that players adapt, like only players can understand players. So we try to keep yeah. things in house with their conflicts, but to see so many players going in front of the media and being this angry. Yeah. I have to think that there's that because Rob Manfred specifically didn't punish any active player. Uh, yeah. I think that there is a genuine, uh, anger for it. And, and when you see, I mean, you don't see teams going specifically after so many players in terms of throwing baseballs at them anymore, the way that seems like the Astros have been marked right now. Like yeah. usually it's like an A-Rod or somebody that you yeah. have like one guy you're mad at, but yeah. you don't see like an entire team just, just like taking it the way the Astros are right now. So well, it's, it's usually there's retribution. Like you hit their guy, they're going to hit your guy. But when right. you're hitting all their guys, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, on the one hand, not good baseball strategy, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's how we do it in spring training because it doesn't matter. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that there's a, that is also a good consideration, and I, I think it's also this is just the latest in like a series of things that series of conflicts between Manfred and the players that yeah. uh, that makes this like even more of an angry situation for them. I think. It's it's uh, it's it's not just the Houston Astros cheating scandal and the fact that they weren't punished. It's the fact that the players clearly got taken in the last collective bargaining agreement to me, and uh, they you know ownership freezed uh, free agent salaries for a couple off seasons. So I think it's like a lot of frustrations that that players justifiably have with Rob Manfred and the commissioner, and this is like the most visceral way of getting it out. I think when you have when you have somebody that many of them have clearly decided deserve to be punished. And this is the one time where he's not going after players. <laughs> I would imagine most MLB guys are like, what the fuck, man? Like, well, I heard Manfred say, which maybe it's not true. He said that this was negotiated with the players union. And he couldn't believe why people were so upset because they're the ones that he talked to about it. Yeah. Um, uh, his, his line of, of reasoning. Uh, and I can understand it to a certain extent is that, in order to get the Astros to speak candidly, he had to promise them that there wouldn't be retribution for them being honest with him. And I think he went through the union to negotiate that. And his message is he went through the union to negotiate that in some way. I think the union has pushed back a bit saying uh, that's not exactly how it went. So, yeah, there's they, again that that's that's jockeying and posturing for the eventual bargaining of the new CBA a couple of years down the road, I think. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Manfred is definitely going to be putting this back on the players as much as he can, because that's what he does. Uh, <laughs> that's another, another way that, uh, yeah, players are going to get mad at him for doing that as well. It's, yeah. it's, uh, he's, he's just not very good, uh, unfortunately. And, and, uh, the Astros are also not very good. So it's, yeah, to me, it's, it's a combination of these factors. It's it's yeah. it's a lot with the Astros, but I think it's also this lingering resentment at a commissioner who is kind of taking it out on on his labor force. Yeah, I hate the obsession with the length of games. I do too. I, I feel like when I watch a game, 
And uh, this was very, I was listening to the White Sox on the radio and Ed Farmer was on, which I don't know how old Ed Farmer is. He's probably kind of old. And the game was going into extra innings. And the White Sox were out of it. It was like second half of the season. And every time like then someone didn't score, he would just like, like I was, I wasn't even watch. I was hearing it. He would just be like, well, we're going to another. And like the game was so long. Yeah. And the next game I was listening to it and Darren Jackson's like Ed Farmer's uh had some health issues he's gonna recover. like like it was so long he just like gave up for a few days <laughs> I'm going home we're in uh, I'm not coming back and he's older but I've heard tv guys do it during playoffs when they were changing pitchers a lot being like oh they're gonna lose the kids kids love watching baseball and staying up like you are the one working and want to go home you're the yeah. one that wants it to be done sooner and I think the whole the whole thing that they've done is uh it seems not necessary. It seems yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point that you made within that. Uh, and that I really haven't thought of it this way before, actually, that there is a way to when you have those really long postseason games, and especially when they go into extras, kind of reframing that as an act of youthful rebellion for baseball, for the kids who want to watch baseball. Like, yeah. yeah, this is your one chance. This is to find a good reason to stay up to 1 a.m. for the first time in your life if you're eight years old. Like, how cool would that be? Not just watching the World Series, but realizing that, yeah, mom and dad aren't telling me to go to bed. Or I'm, or the, even if you had the announcers advocating for that, I think that'd be kind of cool. Like, so there's more pitching changes. Those are commercials where you can bond and talk about. You know, it is funny, though. Uh, I think that people really lost lost their mind or got upset about it when there was a Dodgers relief pitcher. I can't remember his name. Oh, Pedro uh, Baez. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Was Baez, so, and I don't know if you heard this already, where uh, his pitching coach, told him he just, uh, in his advice to him, like, you just need to slow down. And in the sense, I think, like, don't get caught up in the moment, just pitch, you know, you can't, you can't, and you can't win the game right now. But he took it as literally, like, I need to take more time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. And he just took so much time. Oh, God, yeah. And that probably does help you slow down, but he said that, and I was like, that's so funny, because I remember everyone was complaining about how long it took yeah. him to slow yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are guys, and Pedro Baez is first and foremost among them, that yeah. it is a pain in the ass to watch. And after a while, throw, throw, throw the ball. Like, yeah. uh, there are famous stories of an old Cubs pitcher named Steve Traxel, who used to I take know. forever in every start. And yeah. Mark Grace would just every so often call time, just go to the mound, put his glove over his mouth, and just throw the fucking ball. <laughs> uh so, yeah. yeah, there could certainly be less of that. But even even with that in the game, you know, three-hour games are fine. Yeah. It, it's not – you're not going to suddenly get, you know, all the NBA or MLS fans to watch your sport if you cut a three-hour game down to two hours and 52 minutes. Like, that's that's not the difference. It's, it's really – Yeah. Uh, when they got rid of the intentional walk thing, it was just like – what, how much time does that save mm -hmm. over the season? I'm big yeah. stats for that. What, you, you cut five minutes total off of the whole season? <laughs> like, right. right. Yeah, it, it's not. You can mess up and you can throw a ball past. Like, so there's been guys that have hit balls like that. Like Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> it, it, one of my favorite Miguel Cabrera highlights, I think when he was with the Marlins against Baltimore, they were intentionally walking him. And the third or second or third pitch of the at-bat, he just kind of stepped to the front of the batter's box swung lined one into right field for a hit and there's a moment where the camera lingers on him in the replay and you see right after he connects just this giant shit eating grin slide across his face 
It is a thing of beauty. It is one of my favorite baseball moments watching that. And a pitcher is all of a sudden throwing four balls that aren't to the strike zone. Like that's gonna get could get in his head maybe a little bit. Like it just seemed like it seemed like that's not a thing. I get the pitching change thing. You have to throw three batter. Do you have to throw three batters now? Is that know? Like I think I think that adds a little more strategy, which I don't know if that's good or bad. It's like having a DH or no DH. Like it's like you have less resources now, mm-hmm. which makes more sense. But not not intentionally walking a guy. It just seems like he just made the game less fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that. Uh... Uh, this is all, I mean, Rob Manfred's, it, it seems to me that there's no real plan in place in terms of how he's trying to shape the game for the future. It's yeah. really more of just kind of, again, kind of talking about earlier with the Dodgers front office, that he's in kind of grasping mode where yeah. he sees that there are stories about ratings slipping and that, and the story. And it, it's, this is a legit concern that baseball's, the average age of baseball's uh, fan base is, I think, somewhere in the 40s. At this yeah. point, and that that is a, a problem for the future. Uh, but instead of you know formulating a plan to make the game available to kids on platforms that they actually watch online yeah. and on their phones, uh, it's all about you know those cosmetic changes like the intentional walk rule or th- this new three batter rule. And it's it really just feels like well, what if we tried this? Well, what if we tried that? And there's yeah. there's no real grand idea behind it other than let's give this a shot and see if that gets people. And it, it, that's just not how you run an institution like major league baseball. And the, the, the meme online is that Rob Manfred hates baseball and given the way he behaves, I mean, there's reason to believe that. <laughs> well, I remember when I was a kid, cause I, I mean, growing up in Indiana, you couldn't really watch, like even if I want to watch the white Sox, the, the Cubs are always on WGN. So it was like, you got a white Sox game when the Cubs are off. And so the, and the Indians weren't on. So you just watch highlights on SportsCenter. I mean, kids should be playing outside anyways. Like, may, like it, they're going to love baseball when they get older because they played it and they followed it. They're going to follow it. But a kids, I mean, I don't know. I need to sit down and watch whole games all the time, like in the playoffs or whatever. But it's like, it seems like you want kids to come out to a game because that's where they really enjoy it and fall in love with it. So I think yeah. that might be the best way to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, and baseball is also uh, – changing their uh, ticket pricing structure to appeal to corporate interests and not families. So that's another problem. This is, this is getting into a whole rant that uh, could go for another two hours. And then Rob Manfred would cut that pot that off as well. I think. Uh, <laughs> like we're going to take all, all the intentional walks talk because that's going to make this podcast too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just put up four fingers and people will know. Okay. To, to fast forward. They're, for upset, about yeah. They're upset about <laughs> that's <an awful> role. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug while I have you here, Michael? Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've recorded an album that's going to come out in the next couple months through 800 pound gorilla. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it'll be on my website and all that stuff. Uh, and then I recorded a dry bar special that's going to come out in April. And so people look on that app or on YouTube or I'll post it on the internet. That's wonderful. Like yeah. literally every, every set you've recorded from your first tonight show to you know the late late show recently is one of my favorite sets to watch online so uh yeah i can't recommend all of this highly enough to whoever is listening to this podcast at the moment well if people are listening and they would like to see some really inside baseball stuff not to think oh. of, but uh they can go on my website and go to my tape and go to the letterman set and you can hear an official ken schultz laugh after <laughs> the show, he was sitting near the microphone 
Because yeah. a great friend came out to support, and yeah, I, it's like my favorite part of yeah. awesome. <laughs> You recognized it from back in our open mic days, which is which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, people, you, open mic, it's about it could be just the comedians and two other people, and so we were had to sit up front and laugh like real people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you pull up my cackle uh, from, from the theater, <laughs> which which also was uh, is the closest I ever got to a Letterman debut, I think. <laughs> So thank you, Michael, for letting for uh, getting me on there. And uh, your website is michaelpalisac.com. Yes, traditional spelling. <laughs> That's what Patty <laughs> says. It's uh, P-A-L-A-S-C-A-K. I'm on the road. I'm working every week, pretty much till summer, and hopefully afterwards too, because I have a son and I have to pay for stuff. So I'm all over the country. That is a good reason to continue working. I think is is yeah. <laughs> What we're trying to say is go to see Michael in, in uh, at the, when he's uh, at a club near you. Otherwise, he's a bad parent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, see a show, feed a child. That's... <laughs> <laughs> right. This has been a joy, Michael. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, no, thanks for talking to me.